Welcome. It's so good to be with you on this Wednesday as we get together for a little midweek Bible study and devotional time. So glad that you've taken some time out of your day, out of your week, whenever it is that you're uh, doing this, watching this, to uh, to join us and to dig into God's Word and hopefully be uplifted and challenged by what He has to say to us. And again, I'm so glad that you have joined us today to do just that. You know, the Bible is an incredible piece of, of literature. Even if you don't believe anything else, anything written in it, it's still, you have to acknowledge that it is an incredible piece of literature. It was penned by at least 40 authors over the course of some 1500 years and written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Uh, but perhaps even more impressive than that is, well, not perhaps, it is more impressive, uh, is the story that the Bible tells. It tells this epic story of God and his creation of blessing, of temptation, of sin, of exile, of salvation, ultimately, and redemption. And for those of us reading it today, we have certainly the advantage of, of knowing the entire story, right, and how it all points ultimately to Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross and, and his return one day to, to ultimately bring redemption and restoration. All in all, it is an epic book telling an even more epic story, which begs the question, how does it all end? Well, that, my friends, brings us to the book of Revelation, a story about Babylon, of Jesus, of judgment, uh, which is uh, really too much to cover in one devotional video. That's uh, by far an impossible task. Even, I don't know if we could cover it even in several. Uh, but since we can't cover it in, in one, we are going to at least focus on the very end of the end of the most epic story ever told. And in particular, we're going to focus on the end of the end of the end. And Revelation, the book of Revelation, you know, concludes with a final vision of the marriage of heaven and earth, where an angel shows John, and John gets this vision of what what the 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 ultimate restoration is going to be like. John's the writer of Revelation. And, and it's this, you know, the picture at the end is this stunning bride that symbolizes the new creation that has come forever to join God and his covenant people. And God announces that he's come to live with humanity forever, and he's making all things new, including a new heaven and a new earth. Now, John's visions give us a beautiful picture, stunning picture but they also leave many of our questions about what the new creation, new heaven and new earth, what it's going to be like. It leaves a lot of those questions unanswered. And while it's, you know, listen, it's it's not a it's not a bad thing, right? It's, I think it's good and helpful to talk about and dream about what that one day will be. I also don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that those questions are left unanswered because I think it's also important for us to remember that John's goal Jesus and, and 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 God ultimately speaking through John, the goal wasn't to satisfy our curiosity about the new world. Not not that that's again a bad thing, but the ultimate goal is to instill confidence that that one day it is going to be right. One day there's going to be a new world. What, that one day creation would be reborn, just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead. This is the hope of the story of the Bible. That's the the ultimate hope, right? That God's dwelling and our dwelling will one day completely unite and be as one. All things will be made new. Death will be replaced with life. The whole earth will be a recreation of the garden and the glory of the temple will cover it. The glory of God ultimately, which is the glory of the temple. And every nation will be blessed through the power of the resurrected Jesus and God's own personal presence will permeate every square inch of this new creation. Now, having said all that, did you know that there is not one passage in the Bible that talks about going 
to heaven after you die. The phrase go to heaven doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament about death, not once. Now, this doesn't mean that the Bible has nothing to say about what happens to God's people after they die. It just means that that the idea of going to heaven isn't the way the biblical authors thought about it. So, the question is, how did they think about it? Well, let's look at some New Testament passages that speak to what Jesus' followers will experience after they die. For instance, in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Jesus said to the thief beside him on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul is talking about his possible execute or you know, coming to grips with his possible, possible execution and talking about it in a Roman prison. And he said that death, you know, wouldn't be so bad. You know, it, it would make the, the, the Philippians sad, right? And those, those who knew him sad. But the, 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 the upside is that he would get to be with Christ, as he said. He would get to be with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talked about the true hope that, that drives Christian faithfulness. Even in the face of death, the result of death, he said, was to be with the Lord. Notice that the consistent factor is not that people will, the quote-unquote, go to heaven, but it's that they all use the same phrase. Our hope is about being with Jesus, with the Lord, in the presence of our Lord and our Savior and our Heavenly Father. Both Jesus and Paul believe that not even death could separate people from God's love. And one of my favorite passages is in uh, Romans chapter 8, the end of that chapter where Paul talks about that, and that Jesus' followers ultimately will be united with him after death. And so, we can certainly talk about the, the new heaven and the new earth and what that will look like, although perhaps we'll never be able to say for sure this side of eternity what that will be, and that's okay, right? But what we can say for sure is that for those of us who are in Christ, one day we will be resurrected and reborn like Jesus in the resurrection. Even better, that means that we will be with Jesus forever. And that, I'm going to tell you, is worth writing home about, or in this case, at least in John's case, it's worth writing for John to the churches in Asia Minor uh, in the first century to remind them about, because that's why he's writing this book. You see, John didn't write this book as some secret code for us to decipher or for those early readers to decipher. Rather, it is a symbolic vision that brought hope and meant to, brought ho meant to bring hope to us as well, but, but to, to bring hope and challenge, first and foremost, to those seven first century churches and, and those in that first century as a whole throughout, um, the, throughout the, that area and throughout the world, and subsequently also to every generation of Christians that has followed and will follow. It reveals history's pattern and, and God's promise that every human kingdom eventually, every human ki kingdom eventually becomes Babylon and must be resisted in the power of the slain lamb. But there's a promise that Jesus, who loved and died for this world, will, will not let Babylon and all the evil of this world go unchecked. One day, Jesus will return to remove evil from his good world and make all things new, including his people. And that is a promise that should motivate faithfulness in every generation of God's people, including us, until the King comes again one day. Hope you have a blessed day. God bless.